it's Chris. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You don't have to do any of that work. In addition, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to the Situation and the Story podcast, where you can peer into what happens behind the page as I pick authors' brains about their experiences, their process, and their purpose. I'm your host, Chris Moore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Christmas Eve, whether you're enjoying the holiday with family and friends or flying solo, celebrating new life or grieving life lost, one thing remains true. The sharing of our stories is what connects us and carries us through that joy and that pain. For my third episode, I sat down with Denver-based novelist Stephen Dunn, shortlisted for Granta Magazine's Best of Young American Novelists. Dunn is the author of two books from Tarpaulin Sky Press, Water and Power and Potted Meat, which was a co-winner of the 2015 Tarpaulin Sky Book Awards, a finalist for the Colorado Book Award, and has been adapted for a short film entitled The Usual Route from Foothills Productions. Stephen was born and raised in West Virginia, and after 10 years in the Navy, he earned a BA in creative writing from the University of Denver. All right, Stephen. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, good. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. You too. I haven't seen you since AWP. No way. Yeah, I think so. Oh, shit. Wow. <laughs> we live in the same city and I haven't know. seen each other since last it's March. It's, mm. it's probably my fault. Mm. Um, so why do you write? Such a hard question. Um, <laughs> I know. That's, that's the fun of it. Yeah, but I think for me it is a little simple sometimes, just I, for connection. Yeah, I write for connection, yeah. I know it's an easy answer, maybe kind of cheesy, but whatever, yeah. I think it all boils down, like any of the complicated, fucking profound answers I can come up with, it all boils down to connection, so yeah. With with others? Yeah, connection with others, with myself, and with like my environment whether it's built or natural so just all of that connection and I feel like I'm a slow person too in life with thinking so it also gives me time to like chill out and think about shit and feel shit deeply yeah yeah because of the writing process so yeah all of that nice how long because you as far as your history I'll give everyone a little context you are from Richmond no, no, West West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. People think that's Western Virginia. Why did I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, West Virginia. 
And then you were in, I did the same thing with Tara the other day. Oh, Tara's from <laughs> Richmond, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I said, yeah. you're from West Virginia, right? No. <laughs> so I got you two mixed up. Uh, you were in the Navy, so kind of my next question is how long have you been writing or considered yourself a writer? Did you write when you were in the military? A little bit, yeah, but mostly I painted. Um, yeah, I thought I was a painter my whole life. And hold on, I'm 38 now. <laughs> so when I was like 26 or something, I had an art show um, downtown. And I was preparing for like a year for this art show. And something didn't feel right. I didn't know what it was. But I was like, I'm I'm a painter. I'm going to keep doing this. And then my wife, now Tara, who's my girlfriend, then was at the opening for the art show. And she was like, you ever realize how many words you have on your paintings? I was like, oh, I think I should be a writer then. Yeah. So that's what, yeah. So yeah, I was never a big writer growing up. So it wasn't until I was 26 that I decided to be a writer. And that was one marked event that turned me into a writer. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I <clears throat> I wasn't a writer growing up either. Like, I dabbled with journaling, but that was always a thing that was like uh, like a source of self-doubt for me. Oh, what, when I writing? think about... Uh, no, have like being a writer now, but oh, not having been growing yeah. up, or not having been an avid reader growing up. I was like, can you, can you really be a writer? Am I really gonna succeed? I read one book from the time I was like twelve to twenty-two, maybe. So, Shut up. Yeah. So yeah, you can be a writer. Yeah, <laughs> you're a damn good one. I have no doubts about that. But yeah, I wasn't a big reader growing up. I mean, as far as like reading books, books. Yeah. yeah. Well, I read, I first read Potted Meat like a year ago, almost to the week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Um, which you published as a novel. So can you tell listeners what that book's all about? Um, it's about just growing up in West Virginia, um, growing up in poverty in a small town, around black people, around some white people. Yeah. And... um. I guess, yeah, dealing with, like, trauma, nature. I don't know what kind of trauma. It's hard to say what kind, but, yeah, I don't want to sound like a psychologist. Because <laughs> I'm not one. Yeah, dealing with trauma, racism, um, passed down, or, like, unchecked ways of parenting, kind of. Like, yes. beating your kids, basically. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, so it deals yeah. with a lot of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I come from... A different background. I mean, we were poor, but I was in an all-white town, and mm. I don't know. It's a different situation, but you don't really... I didn't know I was poor growing up till, till I was growing up kind of thing. And yeah. like, now I'm like, oh, shit, my family is uh, kind of white trash. And like, <laughs> didn't realize that, but uh, it's interesting. We both have some type of trauma that we bring into our writing, and mm -hmm. especially the, un the unchecked parenting stuff. Did you or do you go to therapy or how did you like work through that shit? You seem very well adjusted. You're oh. a great parent. <laughs> oh, thanks. I love your kids who I've never met artists and comedians. Oh, yeah. Um, I did. Yeah, I was going to therapy a lot when I was writing the book. Um, so, yeah. And I think I did. I was carrying some uh, some harmful shit into being a parent also and a partner when because I, I had a kid when I was 21 yeah. and I hadn't really like checked that shit at all like yeah. my parenting so I was just kind of pulling from what I was exposed to yeah. yeah and I'm not just like 
straight up talking shit about my parents. Like they did the best they could with what they had, yeah. poverty and education. Um, yes, they were also really loving also in some areas. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yes, but I think just kind of like some examples I had, I was still doing that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then also like I was um, with Tara, my wife now, like she changed my views on a lot of stuff from the way she lived and what she talked about. And luckily, like, I was stubborn to a lot of it sometimes, but, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> but fortunately, like, I was open to hearing it and changing yeah. and things like that. So, yeah. I'm not saying, like, she saved me and made me better. I did no, some work myself. Yeah, I'm not trying to put all the labor on her. No. Like, did saved that. my terrible ass. How'd you guys meet? Uh, at a club at a, the Purple Martini. Oh. Have you been to the Purple Martini? No. Mar- it was the shit back in, like, <laughs> 2005. It was here? Yeah, it was, oh. in, it was in Denver. Yeah, I think it's downtown, but it used to be in DTC. And um, yeah, I saw her at the club, and then I tried to talk to her. She was like, no, I'm just here with my homies. I was like, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> Whatever. I usually don't ask twice, because who asked twice? Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll just find somebody else to talk to. But for some reason, I asked twice. Um, and then she shot me down again. Oh. Yeah. And then um, Jerry Rice was at the club, too. And so after the club, like Jerry Rice walked out. And then my friends wanted the football to, player. Yeah, yeah, oh. the famous football player. Yeah. yeah, so my friends went up to talk to Jerry Rice. We had already met him, so I didn't want to talk to him again. Yeah, yeah, we met him like last week. And then her friends went up to talk to Jerry Rice. As she was just in the parking lot, and I was like, "Hey, uh, <laughs> third time." Yeah, I was like, "I'm, I'm gonna try again," you know. Um, and then she started to give me her phone number. She was like, "808," and I was like, "Hey, I have an 808 number. Like, I just moved from Hawaii last yeah. year." Yeah, and I think that made her give me her number. She said she was going to give me a fake number, but I was like, huh, all right. But, <laughs> but once you said that? Yeah, but we laugh about it. Nice. She said I was too nice, which is why she didn't really want to talk to me. Too nice. Yeah, she said she was in a weird place at the time, too, and thinking, like, the way people come up and talk to you. So, you know, I just wasn't cool. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> But years later, here you are. Yeah, yeah, 15 years later. So, Potted Meat was adapted for a short film. Yes, yeah. Which I'm still wondering where or when I can see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should just watch it. <laughs> you have it? Yeah. 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 Um, how did that, it, what was that like for you? Did they approach you about it? Yeah. Um, it's Facebook. It happened because of Facebook and a small town. So one of my friends posted the book. One of my friends from high school posted a book. And his um, old college teacher saw that he posted it, which is the director's mom. Okay. So she was like, son, like, this is what you were looking for, right? Yeah. Like, you've been talking about, and he's from West Virginia also, the mm. director is. So, um, yeah, he ended up reading the book and was like, yes, this is what I want to do. I've been wanting to tell stories about West Virginia, but there's been a lot of, you know, white people, coal mines, yeah, um, yeah. Hatfield and McCoy stuff yeah. that people make about West Virginia. So he was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Your book's perfect for that. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so your most recent novel, Water and Power, is about military culture, I'm assuming based on your years in the Navy. Yeah. And uh, how would you describe that novel? I'm going to hit you with the hard ones. That is a hard question. <laughs> wow. I would describe it 
like I did on the back of the book. I already went through this shit. It's I can so, just read that. Because no, no, like, it's so hard to write those descriptions. I so know. I'm like, oh my God. I still you... can't for my manuscript. I don't know what's it about. I don't know yeah, how to tough. describe it. But yeah, I would describe it as like a fictional ethnography based on true events. And it's, I interviewed a lot of people. So those are like real voices in there. So a multivocal. Okay fictional ethnography um collage type of thing You're, you always yeah. go you always copping out with fiction i feel like no i don't think it's a cop oh, well out. tell yeah. me about that what is that i mean i know you told me for potted meat it was about <clears throat> you know not wanting to put people on the hook that you had known from home or family and things like that yeah some of that and also like the military i feel like the military gets away with being fact-based mm. so it can ignore a lot of shit so the example is like um the have you seen the american sniper shit no so it's about chris kyle right this is a memoir it's fact he wrote this memoir people are arguing. oh the yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, i've like, seen it. i haven't read it he's like i assassinated i sniped 300 people uh-huh. and then people are like no you actually only sniped 295 or some shit right <laughs> yeah. and so like people get hung up on the facts of right. the military and there's enough facts so i don't think i'm copping out with fiction i feel like it's shifting the argument so we can look at other shit to discuss and be critical about because like yeah it doesn't really matter if it's 295 or 300 people right. like what's the mechanisms the behind essence. it yeah the yeah. essence you <laughs> said you had said something like the you with potted meat you wanted to get to the emotional truth of it not the and not worry about the factual truth of it yeah necessarily. same thing with the water and power yeah so yeah i, yeah, I don't think it's a cop out even no, though like i'm, I just, I use I'm base, just fucking with you yeah i know you were yeah i just but it's a good question right like I, yeah, the purpose of fiction and non-fiction and i know that, you, yeah. your, your work yeah. is making me yeah. contemplate it as well because it's so laborious to like try to make it, <laughs> yeah. You know the exact the factual. It's like that's not what it was for me as a kid. It was an emotional experience. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like you can't. Sometimes I feel well. I guess you can compress shit with nonfiction. Um, but what? Oh yeah, a good example. I went to Wyoming University of Wyoming last year to read, mm-hmm. and I went to the Starbucks or whatever somewhere <laughs> or Safeway, and okay. it was so bad. Like I saw so many like camouflage hats. It, cowboy type yeah, yeah and like that shit means something different to me and it was a whole lifetime of experiences compounded in one moment right you know but if i were to write that as a factual event it may not have the emotional weight of all of these like yeah, years coming back to me if i was like well this happened and this happened and this right. happened i'm like no all this shit happened simultaneously yeah right now you yeah, know that's, and that's a really good point that's the beauty of fiction to me or nar- fictionalizing something yeah, so I'm yeah. not saying it's fake or untrue by any means. It's just more compressed for me sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that <clears throat> might be helpful with my story. But there's like some type of identity tied to it where I don't want to say this is fiction. I want to say this is my, yeah. this is my story. Yeah. I don't know. I know a lot of writers will fictionalize their memoirs. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you own it. Yeah, say it's yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True, yeah I true, just true. didn't. I didn't need to like say that. I mean, I'm from West Virginia and all of that. It's my identity, but I feel like also like because it's a small town, I knew a lot of people with the same life that I had. Yeah. Too. So I didn't want to 
make it special in that sense or tie it too much to myself to make it singular. And I'm not saying your book will be singular no, if you make no. it yours. I'm just saying just for my own concerns. Right. Even with a military book, I'm like, this is totally not a singular experience. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you show that with all the different voices in it. Um, when did you leave West Virginia? Uh, 1999. Was it when you went in the Navy? Yeah, yeah, okay. I went straight to the Navy uh, after high school. Yeah. Reading both books, tell me if I'm way off, but do do you feel like they're reminiscent of each other in like this almost prison-like, or you you kind of equate the military with slavery? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did it feel like that growing up in the, in the house you grew up in? Was it like, I need to get out of here? And that's why you joined the military, or yeah, it was more like more. Well, my house didn't feel like slavery. I mean, no, I did. no, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, what uh, a sense of <clears throat> I want some. I want to be somewhere different. Yeah, I think just wanting to travel, like um, I don't know, watching TV and shit. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> yeah, just like being poor and not knowing what college is, or like knowing whether I could afford college. So for yeah. me, that was like the easiest way to leave was to join the military. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, to give you an example of how much I did not know, when I was first in the military, my friend bought a car, and it was um, $7,000. And I was like, oh, my God, man, like, you just had Uh $7,000? Like, how did you do that? He was like, no, man, I got a loan from the bank. And I was like, what? A bank gives you money? Yeah. I didn't know that shit. I can relate to you on that because I had no fucking clue either. Yeah, so I had nothing. Yeah, I didn't know, like, I didn't even know colleges could give you money or the government could give you money to go to college. I didn't yeah. know this shit. You yeah, know? I didn't know anything. Maybe I, somebody told me and I overlooked it or something. I sure. I went so far as to... I wanted to get out too. So I mm-hmm. tried the college thing. I went to Columbia and Chicago. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I was 17. Mm-hmm. And I was in the same boat. I didn't know shit about shit. I didn't know how you pay rent. I didn't know how. Like, none oh, wow. of that. yeah. I went out there and I had to leave after three weeks because... Oh, shit. Like, I didn't... I couldn't get the loans. I couldn't get... I had no family to co-sign on anything because we were poor. Yeah. And had to go back home, but I... If I wasn't in the military, that would probably be the same way for me, too. Yeah. Like, the military is so easy. They, they just take care oh, of me. Oh, to get... I mean, it's, what, it's what do you mean, easy? easy. It's like... <clears throat> It's like being parented the whole time. Like, they tell you when to go to the doctor every year. Yeah, yeah. Like, your shit is paid for. And it's interesting that people in the military are against communism when that's what the military is, basically. That's so funny. Like, I hadn't all, thought of that. We all get paid the same. Well, Housing some, is free. Fucking health care is free. There's some <laughs> fucked up shit in here, though, about... What did I read? Something about going... Going back to classes for another two years and then leaving, and they said, you know, if I had known you were going to leave, I never would have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sent you to school or sent you to those classes. And then, yeah. And then, uh, they give you certain, like, um, education so you can promote or whatever, like, right. more training. And um, you sometimes you agree to stay in the military longer because they gave you the training or whatever, but... Sometimes you can get out of the military because you have that training and make way more money than, um, yeah. 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 Which is why I signed up for, which is why I ended up doing 10 years because four years of like not really knowing shit and knowing how money works and being so taken care of in the military 
It was like, hey, would you like to re-enlist for $40,000? I was like, what? $40,000? Yes. <laughs> like, that's a lot of money to me in my head. Yeah. You know? And they only give you half up front and then, like, disperse the rest over your six years or whatever. So, yeah, $40,000 seemed a lot to me. And I didn't know at the time, like, oh, I could have gotten out of the military after these four years and made fucking $90,000, you know, in one year, right? I just didn't God know, damn. you know. I mean, I was still making the military money also on top of the 20, but it didn't equal to $90,000 or $70,000, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to be, like, <laughs> not knowing shit. And yeah. I think the military, like, thrives off of ignorance yeah, and my, poverty. Yeah, naivete. Yeah. Well, because there are, like, more recruiting, the way the military recruits more recruiting stations and um, impoverished, yeah, things, yeah, impoverished places. A break from the Navy, home on leave. In your book, it sounds like going home, you were like a celebrity, or <laughs> the character in the book was yeah. like a celebrity, like yeah. And they couldn't. It's interesting. It, what do you <laughs> What do you think about that? It's so odd. Um, yeah, this is based on some personal experiences too, of just mm. like me not feeling like that in the military like I didn't feel like a hero or neither did I want to be a hero I wasn't very patriotic but yeah when you go back in public that narrative is so wrapped up that people put that identity on you and it's like hey hero blah 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 you know you served and all of this shit um which I hate that term as yeah. I talk about in the book yeah so yeah it's just um and it's also easy to get caught up on it, you know. It's like, yeah, I want a discount. I'm a, I'm a hero, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to fucking board the plane first. Yeah. But I don't want to wear my uniform. Right. You know, so it's, I was never, like, I felt like I was never fully in the military, like, culturally and ideologically. But I was physically in it and financially dependent on it also. So that's, that's a so big source of tension for that book, like, Constantly, like, mining that tension there. Yeah. So. so you said that you joined to kind of see the world. That was your intention initially? Or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How'd that work I joined out? the Navy specifically to go to Spain. Okay. Specifically, and I have not been to Spain. Oh. Yeah, which is pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah. And then I was on submarines in the Navy. Yeah. So when I joined the military, I was like, hey, what's the best way to get to Spain? And I was like, volunteer for submarines because there's a sub base there. And then during my school, the training, the sub base shut down in Spain. Of course. So, yeah, so I've never been to Spain. Uh, why is, Why oh, Spain? I don't know. Watching TV and thinking, like, Spanish women are sexy or some <laughs> shit. Like, they are. Yeah, you know, I don't know what I was thinking about. It could have been Puerto Rico or some shit. Yeah. I was probably just getting it all confused because I didn't yeah. know anything. Yeah. Could have been um, Harlem. You know? Right. In the movies, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just watching movies. I think I was, I like Eva Sanchez. Is that her name? It was in know. Boat Trip. I don't know. With Cuba Gooden Jr. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to go to Spain. It was, like, about women and traveling. So I it was, love yeah. Spain. I, I, ha I hadn't gone abroad until two years ago. Oh, yeah, you went to Spain, yeah. Yeah, it was a similar thing. Like, I don't know why I didn't join the military, <laughs> but, like... <laughs> I was always like, oh, my God, I'll never be, you know, able to afford to go abroad and shit like this. And when I finally did, it was like, almost like, okay, I've arrived. Like, Yeah, yeah. But, uh. 
so, yeah. up, so were the women pretty in Spain? Yes. I would not know. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> the piece on the field notes on the su- submarine space. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds intense. My family's kind of. So my dad was in the army. Mm. And uncles were in the army, but it wasn't like we were a military family with great honor. Like, they grew up in South Philly, very poor. Like Okay. Does, you grew up in Philly? I grew up in South Jersey. Okay. Um, just, like, 20 minutes outside of Philly. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm fascinated by when you put all these fucking men together. <laughs> yeah. In the military, and then this, this fucking... A, just the weird sexual shit that or things like that happens between all these I don't know guys talking about the squirrel. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what? Yeah, there were a lot of people showing their penises. What and is stuff that? Also. I don't know. Is that like, just like a... the squirrel? I mean, I, oh. get, I get what it is. Oh, sorry. If you want to tell the listeners? Go ahead. <laughs> if you, I mean, you can read it if you want to, but no, <laughs> you would have to read that. I think if people have seen that stupid ass movie with Ryan waiting, waiting, waiting. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. Yeah, but it feels like different that. in a military submarine with all dudes. Like, is it some type of? What's your opinion? Is it some type of show of masculinity, or is it a result of? I think it is like a show of masculinity, or <clears throat> yeah. So showing your penises on submarines. <laughs> <laughs> or to like a bunch of dudes, what is that? I think it is masculinity, but I don't want to say it's like homoerotic. Yeah, yeah, maybe homoerotic also, but people are also homophobic. Right. Too. The minute it crossed the line, they were like, yeah. Like, so it's this weird line of like homoeroticism and homophobia. And I don't know if these people were really gay or not. Probably not. I don't know. But yeah. But yeah like in a joking setting like i can totally show my penis to you and like put it on your hand or something like some dude put his penis on my hand on the keyboard and mm-hmm. he like slammed it you know <laughs> I'm like i didn't ask for you to fucking violate my space like that yeah he was pretty mad like i broke the code right like how dare you slam your hand on my penis right? <laughs> <laughs> you're not playing the rules right that's um, so weird there's unwritten rules about that yeah. shit <laughs> people are like huddle around watch porn together and stuff yeah i read that sub. too yeah um yeah it's very interesting yeah but so against gay people i have no fucking idea what it is other than like toxic masculinity sometimes like, but also like a desire that. to fuck around and play around exactly. and, yeah, or like the freedom of like nobody else being there but men so it's like Oh, we're just men. Yeah. We can do this. I feel like there's a song in the musical, like, we're men. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> Mulan. I'm thinking of oh, Mulan. Mulan. Never mind. <laughs> Be a man. <laughs> and then there's all the sexual assault. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I got to I gotta bring that up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know the gauntlet. Is that shit real? Yeah, yeah. So that was taken from um, as a conference in Las Vegas or whatever every year. So that was taken from like PBS Frontline did a whole special on it. So I borrowed okay. that and I note that in the book. Yeah, yeah. So they did all, <clears throat> all this huge sexual assault at this conference every year, which is similar to this submarine shit too, right? Like this type of like freedom of like I can show you my body yeah. when I want to like I have access to this and yeah. to you so sexual assault is a huge problem 
And then the Navy's answer to that was like, oh, we should do more. That happened in the 90s, so we need to crack down on sexual assault. And it was with this. The war on sexual assault. Yeah, and it was a stupid-ass training with stoplights, you know, to teach about sexual assault. That Um, fucking line. We all know if you sit at a red light long enough, it'll eventually turn green. Everyone laughs. Yeah. It's terrible, yeah. Yeah. It's weird because it's like, it's clever as shit, right? But it's so fucked fucked up. up. Yeah, Yeah, it's like. <clears throat> Ugh, and then I'm not like applauding it by no, saying it's clever. I, I'm just I know, saying like as a fucking linguistic structure of a joke. It is, it is yeah. clever. Uh mm. but yeah, fucked up. Like is it still I mean, do you know if it's still that bad nowadays? Probably, yeah. And I, I don't think I'm being pessimistic, but I think it's still that bad because I don't know if the training has ever gotten more serious. I think they still do the traffic light training. Uh-huh. And also that people don't talk about it enough. I mean, there's some good documentaries and some women writing novels about it. Um, Caged Eyes is the one. Okay. I mean, memoirs. Yeah. Uh, shit, I can't remember her name right now. Uh, I'm, I feel so bad. But yeah. And there are people writing about it. But I feel like as far as like popular military nar- narratives, that never gets bought up, really. Sexual assault or harassment. Huh. Yeah. Not in any context, really, if it's yeah. a especially if it's a woman writing it, but um yeah, I mean that gaunt that gauntlet thing is crazy, yeah, that's again, I'm just like, is that how dudes are, or is that maybe a result what was, of, you have to give the well the gauntlet I guess for people don't, who don't know yeah, yeah, good point. so women walking down the hallway and people grabbing their ass. The gauntlet yeah. and dudes grabbing or like judging them like Up oh you're two hundred men lined the corridor and at ten thirty each night touched women who passed down the corridor for everything from just patting their butt to violent grabbing groping clothes stripping and other assaultive behavior chanting gauntlet gauntlet as the women walked down the hall what the fuck yeah yeah and this was at a hotel in Las Vegas right that's where this or yeah this conference in Las Vegas. So that's not, see, I'm picturing it happening in somewhere, you know, overseas during military assignment. Oh, I'm sure it would happen over there, too. That's crazy. I kind of already asked you about why you joined the Navy. Was that the only reason, just to get out, just to see the world, or was there... The only reason, yes. (laughs) That was the only reason. Are you being sarcastic? No, 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 no. I'm dead serious. That was the only reason, not patriotic about shit i yeah. didn't want to be honorable i just wanted to go travel and leave west virginia yeah, yeah. but i didn't know what the military was really about so yeah. yeah yeah it's hard to picture you in that <laughs> yeah in the military yeah even people in the military don't think that i was in the military before <laughs> or had been in the military yeah because i still work around people in the military and I'll bring it up. They're like, what? You? you?" I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you? Uh, I had a tough time in there because I didn't believe y'all was bullshit. But, uh, Which, thank God. Yeah. Did you do all this? Did you really do all this shit to try to get out? Like, punch an officer in the face? <laughs> Are we allowed to talk about that? Uh, no, I didn't punch an officer in the face. <laughs> um, I did some other things to get out, but I don't really want to talk Got about it. that. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, let's, let's, let's talk about... Your both your books play heavily with structure and and form, mm, mm-hmm. which I'm always so 
curious about hybrid and unconventional forms, and I feel like, in my opinion, you're a master at it. Oh, shit, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. I mean, it's definitely, I, it's more, you called water and power in a conversation we had like a year ago. A damn mess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Structurally. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, um, and Hillary Leftwich and I talked about how you helped her with how to structure her book. So I guess what I'm wondering is how the hell do you do it? <laughs> I I learn from other things. So sometimes I'll preface this by saying like what I dislike about writing is that it feels like it's super contained within writing. Yeah. So people are always like structure and arrangement. I'm like, what does that shit really mean? So I look at arrangement. I'm like, there are people who really arrange shit. Who does that? And so I looked at flower arranging. Uh So yeah, I use a Ikebana Japanese flower arranging to arrange potted meat. What? So I, yeah, so I looked at all the theories and read a whole how bunch do you, of shit. Yeah, how do you even think to do that? Well, because the word arrangement. So I was like, who yeah. arranges shit? And I'm like, flowers are always arranged. Like, that's kind of people's main purpose with them is to arrange them. Okay. So I can learn about arrangement from flowers. And it's something I already liked anyway. Like, uh-huh. I like the flower arrangement and yeah. shit. Because uh, a karate kid, I will admit. I you know, Love it. <laughs> I recently rewatched it. That's yeah, a, that's a cool yeah. Thing. So like it, old kung fu movies or whatever. Yes. But you know, like, but actually reading about Japanese flower arranging, they're talking yeah. about like the energy between the lines, not necessarily the abundance of flowers versus like Western flower arranging or whatever. Yeah. So I can read all of those theories and I can learn shit from things that people do. So we have these keywords in writing shit that we usually use like structure arrangement like what is what is that you know (laughs) like what does that really mean and then for water and power it's talking about structure and i've always been obsessed with like architecture and stuff so i was like architecture is all about structure yeah structure so i'm gonna learn from architecture about building whatever on my plot of land which is also like my definition of plot is like it's a space where i need to work because there's like burial plots yes fucking uh, garden plots, a plot of land or whatever. So I look at plot, my book or whatever, is this land yeah, that I need a space that I need to go do my work, whether it's digging, building, both or whatever. So yeah, so with Water and Power, I use a lot of architectural theory to kind of build that together. So Sounds yeah. Sounds genius to me. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think know. it's just listening. I don't know if it's genius. I, don't know. I mean, I don't, I would never, I mean, not that I'm a genius, but I would never make the correlation. Like when I hear arrangement, I think composer. Yeah, that too, right? Yeah, like people arrange shit yeah. way better than writers do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not like that. Your main job is arranging. That's what I'm learning from. I'm learning from you. Yeah. A really brilliant point. <clears throat> And I have, I spent a lot of my time in, in the MFA program exploring those weird ass structures and different yeah. hermit crab essays, they call them, hmm. where you can put an essay into another format, like a recipe or a, oh yeah, yeah. which is a little different. I mean, it's a lot different than what you're doing, but no, it's... I'm so interested in how to do that with my work. Yeah. I dabbled. But it feels like the, the the manuscript needs a full overhaul. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, Hillary had mentioned you t- thinking about architecture, and the architecture of story. Yeah, yeah. 
Because people are, we always talk about it, right? Like the structure of this. And it's, they're usually talking about like, it's usually confined to writing a structure. Yeah. yeah. And then architecture ends up using a lot of literature terms too, like, to talk about theory. Like for architecture, there's like, there's two different types of languages. There's a form language and a pattern language, uh. right? <laughs> and like these type of things, and they use a lot of, and there's architecture called vernacular architecture. Wow. To, and so it's like, there's already a lot of like terms that are kind of overlapping and i was like those terms don't come out of vacuum they don't overlap for no reason yeah so like what's really behind it so i'm always trying to think like what's behind these overlapping terms and shit Um, and then like architecture varies among cultures so does language and yeah story and even like we talk about writing in terms of cooking Uh i think because Writers just like to use metaphors and shit. <laughs> For everything. Yeah, which is cool, but I was like, there's some shit, like, there's some tangible shit behind the metaphors, you know? Like, I was like, let this cake bake, you know? <laughs> like, all right, let's, let's really look at, like, what goes into baking a cake, yeah. you know? Like, what, where are my ingredients? Where's this damn baking soda? You know, like, yeah. re-metaphor the metaphor, I guess. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you're saying for Water and Power, the process was looking at these other types of arranging mm-hmm. and basically just researching that shit? Yeah, reading about it, people. researching, watching documentaries. Um, there's also um, like the Gorillaz album mm-hmm. is huge for that book too. Like, Say more about that um, Demon Days. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, have you, like the last end of Demon Days, have you listened to that album? I mean... I'm sure I have, but... Oh, my God. It's so good. Like, the last songs, like, all go together. It's kind of cool. Like, it lends itself. It's, it feels like a book. Like, there's this cool right. connection and juxtaposition between the songs and all of that. And then there's also um, Ari Folman's book. I mean, movie, Waltz. I'm from West Virginia, so I have trouble saying L <laughs> in the middle of words and shit. Waltz. Waltz. Like, the dance. Waltz with yes. Bashir. Yeah, and Walt. it's um yeah, it's an animated so I borrowed a lot from that. Um and so he goes around he's like, We when we invaded Lebanon in nineteen eighty one, what happened? And he doesn't really know, so he's trying to fill in these gaps by interviewing his friends or mm. visiting his friends and asking them. So like that method is part of this book right. also. So I'm like going around talking to my friends and shit and they're also contributing to the story and creating this whole narrative so yeah that process then architecture (laughs) like real hard tangible shit of architecture Mm -hmm. not just like construction metaphors and then also looking at the way demon days is arranged and demon days has a lot of features too right so i'm like gorillas is huge at features so those three elements kind of contributes to how i make this how i was able to make this book did you know that before you started writing it no i didn't yeah okay. just over time okay <laughs> yeah <clears throat> over wow. time and there's a quote joyelle mcsweeney um she had a quote on a ghost proposal it's a journal uh-huh. and she says i love when a structure is so badly wired that it shorts shorts out and fizzles out and sends up all kinds of dazzling sparks to create fatal events <laughs> <laughs> some shit like that so like for her you know, I was like, wow, structure is a badly wired thing that creates a fatal event. So I was like, that helped me. You know, I was like, this doesn't need to be a strict ethnography. It can be a badly wired ethnography. Uh-huh. It could be a badly wired novel. It can not be a 
demon days, you know, like it can be a badly wired structure. But because of that, like it sends up dazzling sparks and creates yeah. fatal events, which I think military literature needs to be fucking blown up and yes. <laughs> badly wired so yeah. you can see the faults. Right. Know? Yeah. Did So when you did a lot of interviewing, was all that before you started writing? Dur- during, during. Yeah. Okay. Even one last um, piece in there. Um, funny speaking of philly uh-huh. <laughs> yeah i was in philadelphia with um jamie fountaine yes do you know jamie yeah oh okay yeah she's from philly and uh, i i went there to do a reading and we just met up and was drinking and talking and she was like oh what, what, what book are you writing next and i was telling her about water and power and i was interviewing people and she's like you should interview my brother uh-huh and then she started telling me the story. I was like, no, I like what you just told me. Like, was you buying, you know, writing yeah. that shit for me? And and she wrote it. So that was like a thing that happened. I was almost finished with the book. I right. thought I was finished. But she told me the story about eating and um, all of that. And I had a story in there already about eating, uh-huh. like the Veterans Day restaurant. And yep. so it just fit perfectly. And I was like, wow. So, yeah, that happened just out of just living, you know, <laughs> living yeah. and being involved with people. And then I titled the story um, Subject Interview Number 215. Okay. And then I went back to Philly after the book came out and did a reading. And, it was, and her brother was like, oh, man, I'm glad I'm 215 in there because that's Philly's area code. I'm yeah. like, oh, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> that's that was, amazing. That was a straight up accident. I just randomly yeah. <laughs> assigned that number 215. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm always so curious about how long it takes for it to take form in the form like when you sat down to start writing were you just writing (laughs) yeah i was just writing moments and i knew i wanted to talk to people i knew i wanted other people's voices in there so that was like the only thing that i knew yeah was i wanted voices and i also knew that i didn't want it to be strictly like factual so those are the three things that i knew about the book before writing it Gotcha. And I think the um, the drone story in there, where like, like the ghost people come to the dudes who killed them with drones, that was like the first story I wrote for the book. Okay. It ended up being like the last yeah. one because I couldn't. <laughs> it was hard to write yeah. um, four years later. So yeah, so like it has these fictional elements in it, and the taxidermy museum. Of course, people think that's real sometimes, which I'm happy about, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask what you think about, like I said, you seem to correlate military with slavery in some to some degree, mm-hmm. or, or that idea of service. Yeah. While some of, like, the even the subject interviews in here were, like, so proud of what they did, and they do it all over again, and they're, we're right, they're wrong. What do you think about the difference between kind of your mindset and then that more... <laughs> what mm-hmm. I would call brainwashed patriotic. Yeah. Kind of, I, like, it reminds me of Trump supporters almost who will, like, go oh, to the grave yeah. with that because it's such a part of their identity that to, like, maybe to shake it off or something would just destroy, I don't know, their perception of themselves. I, I think you answered it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think you answered it. And I. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it's just unchecked. Um, it's just not being critical about it 
Yeah. And I think I want to say I was lucky because I was already in a position to be critical of the military because I was not fully immersed in it already. So I already had inclinations to be critical of it. Um, you know, and I wasn't very critical of it my first four years either, which is why I signed up for another six years. So, yeah. <laughs> I think about this a lot because I'm the only, pretty much the only person in my family who left that small town. <laughs> I mean, we talk about critical thinking and I'm seeing tons of people that I that I went to high school with or whatever dying from opioid addiction or shit like this. Like, they just never got out of there mm. and for some reason i did and am the only one in my family that really did what i feel like i relate to you on this you come you're coming into it with a critical eye already but my question is how what what was different about you or different about me that made us be able to think critically when everybody else couldn't for me it was luck yeah. <laughs> um yeah like i'm not gonna count i mean discount luck of just like randomly like I want to travel just a weird ass idea of wanting to travel and leave and then accidentally meeting people who taught me shit and then after that like being able to find like intentionally research things myself so I think some of it is luck but also um like I have to point back to the ending of potted meat of not it really closing of yeah. like how much shit I carried with me after that fact so I was still living in a way good and bad let's just say good and bad mm. in a way that I was in my town even in the open world so I can imagine how difficult that is for people always immersed in their hometown yeah. you know like I'm all the way in Hawaii still living like I was in West Virginia yeah. you know so like of course I don't want to say of course but well, I understand sometimes why people in the small towns who didn't leave still behave the way they did. Um, yeah, so I carried some trauma with me and I also carry like some other good things too. Like I go to a post office and I always want to see somebody there, you know, that I know because that's my small town yeah. and I speak to everybody on the street because that's what I did growing up in my small town. So yeah. I'm like, I'm still pretty much like of that place. You, you know? feel I'm just not in that place. So. Yeah, see, yeah. when I go back, I'm like, fuck this place. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I do have yeah. a sense of identity around the East Coast and Philly. But, like I said, it was a real small, white, very all white, very religious oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. town. And I go back there, and I'm like, oh, thank God I left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I just, it blows my mind that everybody doesn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I left too, and I miss it, um, but I do enjoy going back. Yeah, it's pretty nice. And my town was small, it was like four or five hundred people. <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah, it was a very small town, and it was mostly oh, that's black. Really small. Yeah, that's when people were like, hey, I grew up in a small town, uh, like yeah, ten thousand people. That's that's me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that sounds big to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was it was rural. Yeah. 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 Well, it was like 500 people um, in my town. It was a lot of black people. So, yeah. So, I do miss that, like, being around a lot of black people and it being comfortable in yeah. that way. And, um, I mean, we had races because it's West Virginia, too. But there were enough black people around. Right. Like, we had black teachers, black principals yeah. and shit. So, black football coaches. So, yeah. There were some cool things. Yeah. It's not, 
It's not exactly like that in Denver. Not at all. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. There, there's like there's some pockets, you know. Right. Yeah. The old black ladies at King Supers always yeah. ask me to shop for them Aww. when I see them. And I, they must know. They can tell. Yeah. Like, they look at me like, yeah, you're going to get whatever I ask you. Is it, is it a secret? <laughs> no, no, it's not okay. a secret. Uh, one project is a secret. Okay. But the one is not a secret. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm working with my friend. She is um, trying to find out about her family and stuff. So uh-huh. she's telling me a story and I'm writing it. Um, oh. it's, again, like here we go, like with real life and fiction. We're just calling it a novel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just straight up fiction. But yeah, her grandmother, was when she was dying, was like, I ain't telling y'all shit about the family. I'm taking all my secrets to oh, my grave. Man. So yeah, my friend. Um, yeah, we used to work together. So she's an engineer, and she deals with being a black lady at work and all of this whiteness and ex-military stuff. But she was never in the military either. So yeah, a lot of white men and that type of like subtle corporate, sometimes open racism. You know, yeah. and she travels a lot. Also, she's just such a cool ass <clears throat> person. So yeah, that's the book um, that I'm working on now. I've been working on for like three years, and oh damn, only have like sixty pages. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that is. And this is not like sixty of like sixty of my pages usually would be a lot because I write short narratives. Yeah. But this is like sixty regular pages because uh-huh. these are like longer narratives and yeah. stuff. So I was like, oh wow, yeah. who am I? I wrote one chapter that was like five thousand words, and I like have having an identity crisis. Yeah, I was like. It doesn't take me five thousand words to say shit. Like, yeah. what is wrong with me? No. But you know, I'm 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 giving it up. I'm trying to go with the way the work needs to come, and this is how it's coming now. So, yeah. So I'm figuring it out. Um, I'm always interested in writers' routines or discipline. Like, do you mm-hmm. have a certain amount of time a week that you set aside for it, or per day, or do you write every day? Fuck no. Okay, good. <laughs> And nor do I want to, like, <laughs> not at all. I don't know. Yeah, I, I take, like, two to three months off a year to not write at all, like, intentional time off. Yeah, I take time off to not be a writer at all because I'm other things, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. A lot of other things. Yeah. Dad. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Husband. <laughs> uh, security. Yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And other, like creative things and other yeah i didn't know you painted yeah i used to be a painter i don't anymore but i used to a lot so yeah Yeah, but i do take time off i don't write every day um and it's kind of my life has been different since we've had the baby for four years so it's (laughs) yeah yeah, so it's been a rough so usually like if i do write when i was working every day it would be like once everybody went to bed at like eight o'clock and then i'll write from like nine to twelve I mean, maybe to 12, who knows? Jesus. But, like, I got to go to work the next day, so I'll write from 9 to 10. Yeah. But I know there's an element of, like, discipline, and I'm not discounting that also. And I'm not concerned about my discipline. Like, I have some discipline and shit, but right now it's like, I write when I can uh-huh. or when I want to. You know, I'm really trying to have some grace with myself and yeah. my life. 
um, and just incorporate it. And and we have our writing group, so I'm constantly like editing people's stuff. We meet once a week, um, you know, for like since 2014. Yeah, we met like once a week. I mean, some days off here and there, but yeah, yeah we've met once a week since 2014. You know, it's like eight of us and. Some members come, some members go, but we stay around eight people. So I'm always doing something, you know, with the writing. Is that at Lighthouse or just something? No, just you... friends and, you know, How we, we rotate houses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think you could fit in here, though. Oh, I mean, yeah, we go to Village Inn a lot also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because some people are like, yeah, my place is too small. Yeah. So, yeah, we go to Village Inn. Nice. Quite a bit. How long did it take to write your other two novels? Uh, like four years each. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better. No. <laughs> it's, it's a slow process sometimes I for know. some people. Yeah. I'm impatient as hell. Oh. <laughs> but I, it's been two years now and it's gone quick. You okay. don't think of it as, it sounds like it's going to be crazy long. Yeah. Before you start writing, but now it's been two years. I'm like, okay, that went pretty fast yeah and i still could go for another couple years like easily yeah yeah i just yeah there's no need to rush it i feel yeah but i mean i'm sure i have privilege saying it because i have like a good job and shit and i'm not dependent on books for money or books to get jobs although i would like to get a job like a full-time job teaching I'm not like super dependent on it, so it's easy yeah. for me to be like, Yeah, I'm taking my time, you know. Yeah. Just chilling. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I still wanna know where the fuck my copy of Potted Meat went. Oh. Hmm. It's pissing me off. Oh, did I I didn't even I bought it but I didn't I, give it to you. Didn't end up, it's okay. okay, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I just, it doesn't make sense that it's not here. And now I really want to read it again. Maybe it'll come back to you. Yeah, someday. 